From house prices to transport woes and port extensions, Auckland issues have come to dominate the news. Its problems have become the nation's problems. The city is growing at a stellar rate, but this Radio New Zealand Insight programme investigates whether the rise and rise of Auckland is in the national interest. Ask people in provincial cities like Hamilton and New Plymouth for one word to describe Auckland, and this is what you get. Big. Busy. Overcrowded. Congested. Traffic. 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 Congestion. Beautiful boating, though. That's certainly a beautiful city, but it's got its problems. More exciting than Hamilton. (laughs) There's more to do. It's fun. Shopping. Housing. (laughs) Problems. Uh, It thinks itself the centre of New Zealand. Resentment's running high. It's outgrown itself. It's got massive infrastructure issues. And I just think we are putting all our resources into Auckland at the sacrifice of our regions and our provinces. And yet the city's future will have a major bearing on what New Zealand becomes. We know that we've got to have an internationally competitive city to keep talent here, to bring talent from around the world to compete with um, Brisbane and Melbourne and Singapore and so on for for investment. So it's right that we should um, develop what we've got uh, rather than Auckland trying to compete with um, Wellington or, or Christchurch. I'm Ian Telfer and this insight investigates Auckland's ever-growing dominance and what that means to New Zealand as a whole. Auckland. Oh, here it is, right here. In an Invercargill City Council lounge, the Mayor, Tim Shadbolt's in a reflective mood. Leafing through photos in his most recent book, A Mayor of Two Cities. That was Tim's team. I would have had the most power, I think, of any politician in Auckland because we held all the seats in Waitamata City. Mr Shadbolt grew up in West Auckland in the 1950s and says it was heaven on earth. Later he joined a hippie commune and after some political theatre and a series of twists, ended up mayor of Waitamata City for six years in the 1980s. He says it was a heady time, and if there was one mantra in Auckland then, it was expand as fast as you can. We thought growth when I was mayor of Waitamata City. Oh, the faster we could grow, the more triumphant and crowing we were about it. Maybe that's why I survived two terms, because we had such phenomenal growth and people loved it. They could only see benefits to it. Now, well, I'm not so sure. He says even 30 years ago, Auckland's infrastructure problems and traffic congestion were obvious. And in retrospect, he feels they created a bit of a monster, out of kilter with the rest of New Zealand. Mr Shadbolt says he has three children and seven grandchildren in Auckland and still loves the city. But from his southern vantage, it doesn't look so heavenly anymore. Well, not when you're suddenly out in the provinces. You know, you're in a unique situation where you see all the energy and effort and concentration of power going into one city. In Auckland, a shortage of homes has pushed house prices to levels being described as stratospheric, and it's become the country's hottest political issue. This was the Labour leader, Andrew Little, after the most recent budget. Make the promise today, Mr Prime Minister, don't get on your hindquarters in 15 minutes' time and flap about like a rooster on heat and give your usual dog, dog and pony routine. Make a genuine promise, one that you're prepared to stick by. Be straight with New Zealanders. Tell them we are serious about affordable housing. 
make sure those houses are affordable houses. The median house purchase leapt $80,000 in the past year to $720,000. Two weeks ago, the Reserve Bank announced its first ever Auckland-specific rules because it fears the city's overheated housing market poses a risk to the nation's financial stability if there's a sudden collapse. The Reserve Bank's governor, Graham Wheeler, says the city's dominance can't be ignored. I mean, Auckland's an unusual city in the sense that you know, compared to most advanced economies in the world, you won't find a single city, I mean, Iceland would be an exception, um, where a single city accounts for 35% of GDP and is forecast over time to probably uh, head towards 40% of GDP. Where over half the migrants settle, where 40% plus of the employment growth takes place. You know, the economies of agglomeration that draw people and businesses into Auckland are very powerful and it's, and it's more connected into Asia and, uh, and to the global economy than any other city in New Zealand. Back in Invercargill, what concerns Tim Shadbolt most is the way Auckland's become a magnet for people. Mr Shadbolt says when he wrote his book eight years ago, he found there were only five cities in the world that had more than one-third of their population living in each nation's megalopolis. He says they were Uruguay, Armenia, Gabon, the Bahamas and Iceland. Nowhere else in the world is this occurring except five other countries that I could find that were mainly, except for Iceland, were third world countries with huge civil war and refugee problems. So... New Zealand is absolutely unique in having a third of its population living in one little one city with a very narrow waistline between two enormous harbours and that really, I think, a lot of chickens have come home to roost. For Tim Shadbolt, those chickens are the growing pains of a city with a population growing faster than its infrastructure can cope with. Three years ago, the city passed one and a half million people and it's still growing by more than 30,000 people a year. Statistics New Zealand's forecasting Auckland will grow to 2 million people by 2031. And yet where he's now mayor, Mr Shabbolt says they have plenty of infrastructure and no people. In Invercargill here we've got the lowest unemployment rate of any city in New Zealand and we've got a desperate shortage uh, of workers and we've got uh, several thousand, we're not sure how many, Filipino workers on our farms uh, and, and dairy farms in particular and we really do need more and more people to build up a, a tremendous export business which we're running. Basically we export food to, and aluminium to countries right around the world and we just can't seem to get enough workers to come down here and they all seem to be pouring into Auckland and we're thinking it's just such a um, ridiculous situation. And then there are the transport problems. The city's traffic jams are legendary and the rest of the country endures each morning radio and TV updates on its clogged motorways. Auckland's mayor, Len Brown's trying to raise $2.5 billion for an inner-city rail link and is asking the government for half. Many people believe Auckland's becoming a pit to pour money into. From an office in Dunedin's warehouse district, 
Ali Copeman runs a conference management business. Hi, you must be Ali. Hi, Ian. Yes, G'day. welcome. Thank you. Come in. Ms Copeman's also the Otago Chamber of Commerce's president, and she's blunt about how she sees New Zealand's big northern city. Auckland. Crowded, expensive, don't want to live there. I've got family that live there, so I do get to visit quite a bit. Um, I, lo I love it to visit, but it's not the place I want to live or bring up my daughter. Ali Copeman says Auckland's infrastructure problems are becoming a drag on the rest of the country. It's just that the infrastructure, the roading, the, the rail, um, things go wrong. You get a traffic jam or whatever, and you see the photos, the Southern Motorway, the Northern Motorway, completely congested, and you go, building more roads is not going to solve your problem. And she doesn't buy the argument that it's essential to have one star city. We are New Zealand Inc. Although that's how, it was, that's how it's been sold to us. You know, ever since, and you can go back to about 2007 when the momentum really kicked in when we were going after the Rugby World Cup for 2011. And it was one, one country, one unified state, and we are New Zealand Inc. Well, I don't see evidence of that these days. Um, you see a lot of money pouring into Auckland from the government and not so much down past the Bombay Hills, south of the Bombay Hills. Yeah, do you think that divide still exists? Um, I do, um, and it's not that we're anti-Auckland, uh, it's just that there are, if we don't support the regions and we don't support the provinces, what are we all going to do, move to Auckland? Are we going to have four million people living in Auckland and nothing else for the rest of the country apart from a bit of agriculture and a bit of wine and viticulture, really? Is that what we're looking at? And tourism? There's more to the rest of the country than those three sectors. She says New Zealand needs to learn from history. We saw it during the 80s with the shutdown of, um, you know, in Dunedin alone, head offices moved, uh, I remember it vividly, head offices moving north, um, and that affects your hinterland. And the hinterland was dying back in the 80s. Well, we're not going to have the hinterlands dying in the next 20 years. It's going to be our medium to larger cities. And, and I think we, the government's just got to rethink the whole resourcing of the country rather than focusing entirely on Auckland. Auckland's important, don't get me wrong, but I think we've um, got to reevaluate it. Statistics about the growth of regional economies back up what provincial leaders are saying. Last year, of all the regions, Southland grew the fastest at 11%, then Canterbury, Marlborough and Waikato. The national increase was 6.7%, and New Zealand's two most urbanised regions, Wellington and Auckland, grew the least. Another who reinforces the need to recognise the region's role better is economist Ganesh Nana. Our plan is around Auckland as the, the big city and, and it's all around um, economies of scale and economies of agglomeration. That gives you benefits if you do have big cities. Uh, the problem with that theory is that... Uh, in the New Zealand context, uh, yes, we get agglomeration if we do get a big city, but we need that backed up by the economic wealth and prosperity that's, that has always been the base of New Zealand, and that's, that's our primary or our natural resource sector, which is out in the regions, outside of Auckland. With talk like this, it's possible to lose sight of why one and a half million people have chosen Auckland as their home for thousands of different reasons. One of them is musician Anthony Tonnen. Anthony Tonnen moved to Auckland from Dunedin on New Year's Day 2010 and says it was a good move. I feel reasonably settled here. I have um, a good amount of work. 
I certainly have proved my theory uh, before I left that it would be easier for me to reach a wider New Zealand audience by working from um, the other end of the country. And Mr Tonnen says there's something else too, the feeling of being on the international stage or close to it. Mr Tonnen says the word he would use to describe Auckland is airport. As soon as I got to Auckland, I met people who were saying, oh yes, um, really nice to meet you, I have to catch up again after I come back from my three months in Berlin. Or, you know, people were talking about how they were going to go to New York. People in Auckland have a smaller view of the world because so many people that they know travel widely. It's strange, you know, meeting native Aucklanders, of which you don't meet that many in Auckland because so many people are immigrants. I find that they think about going on an international exchange during university before they'd think about moving to Wellington or Dunedin. They, they see kind of the rest of the country as a backwards move and their first look is far overseas. So we bought this land back in 1996. Uh, it is former seabed, Te was this name of this bay. The deputy chair of Ngāti Whātua Orake Trust, Narumu Blair, is walking in Key Park in central Auckland on the only major piece of the land the hapu still owns. Back inside the trust-owned office building, Mr Blair says anyone who lives in Auckland won't have any problem telling you why they chose the city. Yeah, well, there's lots of great things about Auckland, which is why so many people live here and continue to flood in here, not, not only from overseas, but from around the regions. Myself, you know, I was brought up in the country, 40 kilometres from here. I couldn't wait to get out of there and came to live at the Orake village where we have land up there and, you know, bright lights, big city kind of stuff, the opportunities in the city that it offers around education, employment, uh, for me at that time, the rugby, and, yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a great place. We've got, um, you know, good beaches, forests, hunting, and it's all pretty much here. Auckland's Māori name, Tamaki Makaurau, means the place loved by the multitude or the bride sought by a hundred suitors. And Narumu Blair says that still stands today. One consequence is that Auckland's leading New Zealand in cultural diversity, and unlike the rest of the country, attracting and keeping young people. He knows the focus on the big city is hard on other regions, but believes the good easily outweighs the bad. You are talking to an original Jaffa here. <laughs> We are um, unashamedly proud of Tamaki Makoto um, of Auckland. Um, yes, it's, it's uh, done some terrible things to us as, as an Atifatua, but I think in terms of the, the long game, uh, perhaps what our ancestors saw back in 1840 was uh, the potential that a, a large city could bring uh, to our survival, um, but not just to our survival, but for us to flourish. So um, I definitely know not a black hole, and I think the, uh, the tax that's taken out of Auckland um, uh, in terms of reinvesting back into the, the rest of the country kind of bears that out. We're, we're more than paying our way here in Auckland. And yet this idea of Auckland as a place swallowing all the country's resources keeps coming up. Radio New Zealand asked more than 20 people in regional centres if Auckland's a star shining like the sun or a black hole in space sucking in everything that comes near. They chose the light-devouring hole analogy by two to one. Black hole. Kind of like a black hole. I wouldn't really go there for a job unless it was, like, high-paying. To me, it's a shining star, I guess, but, but for a lot of other people it wouldn't be. You know, it depends on your circumstances, yeah. Black hole? 
money just disappears into it. No, it's certainly not a shining star. I think Auckland's a shiny star, but however we've moved out of Auckland. It's both. It is a shining star, but also it sucks up all the good things that could go elsewhere, and uh, it might be a detriment to other regions. Otago University space physicist Craig Roger says out in the universe a black hole is a very extreme thing. So a black hole is the remnant of an extremely large star after it has died. And it is a vast percentage, well, maybe it's 20% of the mass of that star concentrated in essentially no space at all. And so you have all that gravity, all the gravitational attraction of that massive, massive star compressed down to, to a region so small that light cannot escape, which is why we call it a black hole, because no light can come from it. Professor Rogers says the analogy of the star is actually much better, because they have a gravitational pull too, and shine to a lesser or greater extent. Here in Dunedin's exchange, in the oldest part of the city, people are keenly feeling the influence of Auckland's growing power 1,000 kilometres to the north. It's the feeling of the country's money and focus going elsewhere, of being left behind. And yet, recent analysis of government spending suggests this is not the reality. Auckland's actually been paying a bit more than its share of taxes getting the right amount of infrastructure and less than its share of public service money. However, there's one thing in which Auckland is getting more than its share, and that's roads, and that's a sensitive issue. The Transport Minister, Simon Bridges, admits Auckland's getting about 40% of all road and rail spending, costing about a billion dollars a year, though he says that's justified. Uh, basically, bigger cities do, over time, I think, require... Um, uh, bigger, more complex projects that do just cost more. That said, I think we've got to be conscious of all of New Zealand and make sure that we are um, uh, spreading the jam, if you like, evenly over the bread. If any city's affected by Auckland's growth, it's Hamilton. There, a Waikato University professor, Jacques Pote, is a specialist in population economics. Professor Pote says in New Zealand, Auckland stands out. Auckland is what sometimes referred to as the growth pole of the economy. It attracts resources. It has a high, relatively high level of economic growth. It certainly uh, has a large contribution of total population growth uh, in New Zealand. So, on balance, it, it, it's a, a major engine to the New Zealand economy. But Professor Potes says the public have a number of misconceptions about the city. For example, where are all the extra people coming from? It's quite often people um, have the perception that this is due to migration, which in fact is on average not the case. Most of Auckland's growth is due to the fact that it's a city with a relatively young population. So most of the growth, on average, is natural increase. Professor Pote says the latest statistics show that of the immigrants coming now, only one in eight is staying long term. The most recent ones show that about 47,000 people are permanent long term migrants moving into Auckland, but in terms of the fractions of that, uh, the immigrants, who are people who we think as immigrants, are only about 12% of the arrivals. A third are people who are on temporary work visas, a quarter are students, and a third are New Zealanders returning.
He says it's also no longer true that Auckland's sucking in people from the rest of the country, as the last few censuses have shown that Auckland's losing more people to the rest of New Zealand than it's attracting. And on the question of how skewed the size of Auckland is in relation to the country, Professor Pote says new calculations bust that myth too. The size of Auckland is not extraordinary relative to the population of New Zealand. Uh, I had a look at some, some other cities to compare with. Uh, if you take, uh, say, uh, you know, a good comparison might be Ireland. Uh, and if you take uh, Dublin, which has 1.8 million people, uh, out of a population of Ireland of 4.6, that's uh, 39%. So that, that's not, that's, Auckland, of course, is about 33%. And even if you take uh, the United Kingdom, and the question of course, is in, if you take London, uh, how big is London? The, the uh, administrative boundaries are often not a good guidance because it's about economic uh, performance and, and, and importance that we're looking at. And sometimes the best way of doing that is, in fact, you can use satellites and you can look at where at light intensity and define boundaries of agglomerations based on where the light starts to dim, as it were, on, on the boundaries. Now, if you take London as a big, uh, the, the greater London area, uh, some estimates say that population is about 21 million uh, of the UK of 64 million. So that's, again, it's about a third. So in that sense, Auckland doesn't stand out at all. From his post in Wellington as chief economist of the consultancy firm Burl, Ganesh Nana agrees Auckland could be and needs to be a star performer. Dr Nana says the problem may not be Auckland's dominance, but the lack of a second city to give it some balance. What you've got is a very uh, peculiar characteristic in New Zealand where you've got such a big dominant city but not a number two city there or present uh, and I suppose in terms of the theory depends on which books you read but rough rule order of thumb you'd be expecting a, a second city half the size of your biggest city now if you take Auckland as sort of one and a half million people there isn't a, a second city in New Zealand that's anywhere near three quarters of a million in population terms. This is called Ziff's Law the idea that the second city should be half the size of the country's biggest city, and its third city a third of the biggest, and so on. That would mean either Wellington or Christchurch would need to about triple in size over the coming years to become a full second city to balance Auckland. Perhaps a rapidly modernised post-quake Christchurch might grow quickly. But Ganesh Nana says New Zealand's now in a cul-de-sac, with its one very big and growing centre and that's causing a lot of stresses and strains. Everybody expects Auckland to grow, so it's a self-fulfilling expectation, and it attracts the infrastructure, it attracts the employment, and and, and I suppose it's, it's the psyche of New Zealanders that if you want to go to a big city and if you are attracted by the employment growth, Auckland is probably the only place to go, and that's the expectation or that's the psyche that's out there. And um, that's then is backed up by the policy environment that is sending infrastructure dollars uh, towards Auckland and arguably at the expense of other regions. Dr Nana says New Zealand's wealth has always come from its lands and seas, whether wood, meat, milk or fish. And Auckland's role has to be as a finisher and export gateway, packaging, adding value and finding new markets. He says despite decades of good words, the country's still locked into a pattern of competition between the regions instead of a partnership. He says one place to start would be to end funding regional services like health based on the number of people that live there. Those population-based funding formulas are no longer appropriate 
for a New Zealand where most of our, well, most, but a significant proportion of our economic wealth is driven from the regions, but they are facing declining population. And that's that there is a inherent uh, conflict there that we have to confront. We can't have those population-based funding formulas depriving the regions of those uh, necessary infrastructure because then we go into a population spiral in the regions which then gives you an economic spiral in the regions which then give you not a very pleasant picture for New Zealand uh, because New Zealand, I repeat, does not rely on Auckland, it does not rely on Wellington, it relies on the interconnections between the regions and their successful connections with the big city. And until we get that message or that story or that picture out there and understood by everybody, including the policy analysts and the politicians, we will be forever in this um, no-win scenario where it seems to be either the regions versus Auckland or it's the ratepayers versus the taxpayers. And we haven't got that big picture, forgive me, that NZ Inc. perspective that we need. In health at least, the government's already reviewing the population-based funding formula, although there are no signs yet of a major rethink. There's pressure on the government to look at immigration rules too. For instance, the Invercargill Mayor Tim Shadbolt says immigrants willing to work or invest in provincial New Zealand get a couple of extra points towards their qualifying entry score, but they should get 10. The Immigration Minister, Michael Woodhouse, has confirmed he will be asking officials later this year to look into ways to tweak the system to encourage those thinking of moving here to look outside of Auckland, though he won't give any details. For now, though, the star keeps burning. But perhaps there are better metaphors. The economist Ganesh Nana suggests a cricket team made of the regions in which no individual's any more important than any other. The chief executive of the Waikato Chamber of Commerce in Hamilton, William Durning, has another. I see it as beachhead. So it's, a, it's an initial point of entry for people to to come and understand what it is to be a New Zealander, what it is to live in our wonderful country. It's not the, the be-all and end-all, it's a starting point. And then from there that they can venture throughout the rest of the country, we're easily, it's so easy to get around and, and, and see all the parts of our, our wonderful country, to live, work and play. And then I think that gives news, those new New Zealanders coming in the chance to say, where in our great country can we, you know, find a slice of paradise, a place that we can call our own, and contribute accordingly. There are shades of that in Ngāti Whātua's Narimu Blair's thinking too, as he casts back to his ancestors. Sometimes I'll go and sit on a, a headland along the, the Tāmaki Drive there and kind of try and picture what it, what it may have looked like without 20,000 cars going past in, in the morning. Even with that, there and the cranes from the port and so on. It, it's a pretty spectacular um, place to be. He says Ngāti Whātua doesn't see it as us and them or region against region, but as making the most of what each has for the good of all. I'm Ian Telfer and that's Insight for this week. If you've any thoughts about this programme or would like to get in contact, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz. Our Twitter handle is rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that program. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Jeremy Veal.